care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. Jim Rohn. Hello and welcome to this year's Word Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Symes. I'm an author, entrepreneur, mum and wife. In this podcast series, I will share my Word of the Year experience as I explore the meaning of the word love and how you can use this word to change your life one day at a time. In the next few episodes, I will be exploring how to love the skin you're in by reiterating that self-care is self-love when it comes to the physical aspect of our lives. In today's episode, I will explore the benefits of getting physical and mastering movement when it comes to exercise and share my personal journey of incorporating exercise into my life. I was not a sporty kid and doubted my own physical ability from the age of four when my ballet teacher had a quiet word to my mum and strongly suggested that my efforts might be best placed in an alternative activity to ballet. Ouch. Throughout primary school, I struggled at every swimming and athletics carnival. We were awarded participation points for every event we entered at a carnival. So I certainly had a go at everything I could survive, excluding the long-distance events. But my comfort zone was cheering my teammates on and concentrating my efforts on winning the cheering cup for our sporting house. Sure, I dabbled in different sports throughout the years. Netball, gymnastics. I was never able to master the splits, but I could turn a mean cartwheel. Softball, hockey and rowing. When I was around 10 years old, my parents were so concerned about my poor swimming skills that they enrolled me in private swimming lessons. Growing up on Norfolk Island, we all spent a lot of time in the water. Whilst I enjoyed splashing around in the shallows at the gentle swimming beach, I had a reverent respect for the ocean. I never went deeper than I could stand, and the only stroke I had mastered was doggy paddle because I didn't like putting my head under the water. We didn't have swim schools or organised swimming lessons in those days, and my fear of the water had held me back from learning other swimming strokes like my peers had. After a few intensive swimming lessons, I certainly improved. The water still wasn't my happy place, but I felt like I was capable of getting myself out of a dangerous situation, should the need arise. Whatever sporting activity I engaged in as a kid and later as a teenager, I felt that no matter how hard I tried or how much I practiced, I was always floundering. I'd watch as my peers would take up a sport they'd never tried in their life and master it in what seemed like a couple of lessons. It was for this reason I branded myself as non-sporty. Fast forward a few years later, when I was in my late teens and studying for my high school certificate. I recognised the pitfalls of sitting at a desk for hours on end, such as stiff muscles and a sore neck. I was also conscious of my developing body and wanted to maintain a healthy weight by not overindulging in unhealthy food like chips, chocolates and lollies for comfort whilst I was studying. My stepmum was a competitive long-distance runner who was incredibly fit and followed an impeccable diet. She was probably the sportiest person I knew and became a positive role model for my movement and diet. Whilst my stepmum's regime was much stricter than mine due to her sporting career, there were elements that I could follow, such as regular movement and a diet including foods with healthy fats such as fish, avocado, nuts and seeds, as well as lots of vegetables. Making small tweaks to my diet, as well as moving more, was the key to surviving my final years of school. I attempted to take up running, but I couldn't push past feeling puffed all the time. I'd run a few hundred metres and need to take a break as I thought my lungs were about to burst. My body felt heavy and uncoordinated 
and I was self-conscious about running around my neighbourhood, in case I bumped into anyone I knew. It also didn't help that we lived in a neighbourhood with lots of hills, which felt impossible to run up as a beginner. I did, however, realise I could use the hills to my advantage if I walked. The hills provided an excellent cardio workout that wasn't quite as gruelling as running. I started walking a few blocks around my house and eventually explored further and further afield. One day I walked to a friend's house a few kilometres away and we decided in future we should meet halfway and walk together as a break from our studies. This was the start of a beautiful walk and talk ritual that lasted for many months, especially during our most intense months of study and exams. I'm incredibly grateful for the hours and kilometres my friend and I spent together that year. We were rocks for each other as we debriefed after tough lessons and gruelling exams while we navigated the challenges of young adulthood, friends, boys, life ahead. What started as the need for movement developed into a deep friendship and mental therapy. In a survey conducted by the National Health Survey in 2017-18, to 18, 26% of young people aged 15 to 24 reported having a long-term mental or behavioural condition. The most common conditions were anxiety-related disorders, such as feeling anxious, nervous or tense, 17%, followed by depression or feeling depressed. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, 461 young people aged 15 to 24 years died from suicide in 2019. That's 14 in 100,000 young people. I shudder to think what these statistics now look like following the COVID pandemic. My point is, I know how lost I would have felt throughout my last couple of years of school had it not been for the combination of exercise and social connection whilst exercising. I can't advocate for it enough. There have been several other occasions throughout my life when exercise, most notably running, has become my saviour. During my mid-twenties when I was living in London, I started to feel disconnected from nature, especially during the long, cold months of winter. Many days of the year I went to work in the dark and came home in the dark and felt completely estranged from nature, especially if I wasn't able to go for a walk outside on my lunch break. One evening when my husband was working late, I decided I needed to get outside and get some fresh air, so decided I'd go for a run in the dark. I'd been nervous about doing this for safety reasons, but it was only six in the evening, so there were plenty of other people around coming home from work, and the route I selected was well lit. Slowly at first, I put one foot in front of the other, and blood started pumping around my body, stopping me from shivering. The warm, sweaty feeling of my body, combined with the sharp cold air I drew into my lungs on every breath, was invigorating. I was hooked. Each evening, I continued to run a little further and a little longer. 10 minutes, 20 minutes. As winter turned into spring and the evening stayed lighter for longer, each evening I continued to run a little further and a little longer. 10 minutes, 20 minutes. As winter turned into spring and the evening stayed lighter for longer. One evening when I came home from work, it was raining, but I was desperate to get out and went for a run anyway. I arrived home 20 or so minutes later, utterly saturated, but felt completely alive and connected to something greater than myself. My next challenge was to extend the time I could run for. Most of my routes were 20 minutes, but if I did the lap twice, 40 minutes felt too long. I just couldn't break the 30-minute mark. 
I started running on the treadmill at the gym. While it wasn't quite as invigorating as running outside, I could slow the pace right down so I didn't tire as quickly. On a walk past the Nike Town store at Oxford Circus on my lunch break one day, I noticed a sign advertising group runs organised by Nike and starting from Nike Town a couple of evenings a week. I studied the route on the map displayed, which went from the store to Regent's Park and calculated it would take around 30 minutes for me to run. I hadn't been able to break the 30-minute threshold running constantly, but this was just the motivation I needed. I trained on the treadmill for a few weeks, keeping the speed slow enough until I could run for a full 30 minutes. It doesn't seem like a long time, but the trick for me was finding a steady rhythm I could sustain for this period of time. My husband had also started training on the treadmill at the gym too, and was keen to join me on my inaugural night town run. A few weeks later I packed my running gear into my backpack to take to work. After changing quickly in the bathrooms at work, I walked down to Nighttown and nervously waited with my husband for the run to begin. This was the first fun run of any kind I had ever participated in, and my tummy was bursting with butterflies. The participants were a mixed bunch of folk of every shape and size, from elite regular runners to newbies like myself. As we set off on our run into the cold London night, I suddenly realised that I had not run this distance off a treadmill before, and running on a treadmill is much more forgiving than running outside. Fortunately, the route was very flat, but the cold night air burned my lungs and I gasped for breath. However, the momentum of the other runners and my husband buoyed me along, and before I knew it, we had completed the run and were back at Nike Town. I was ecstatic. I completed my first ever fun run and hadn't died in the process. Even though my lungs and leg muscles ached, the endorphins coursing through my body had me hooked, and I couldn't wait to come back next week. From this experience, my love of running grew stronger and stronger, as the distances I ran grew longer and longer. I started running in the mornings before work, on my own or with a friend from the gym. My friend was a trainer at the gym, and brilliant at pushing me a little further every time we ran. I ran in the evenings, on the treadmill, and on weekends. My muscles grew stronger and I lost weight and felt fitter. I was completely addicted. I signed up to do an 8k race, then a 10k race, then a series of 10k races. Once I'd cracked the 30-minute running time, I felt invincible, like I could keep going forever. Finally, though, I reached the point where I plateaued. No matter how hard I would push in races, I wasn't getting any faster, and my times weren't improving. It was at this point I thought I needed some extra help and signed up with a running coach. The coach was a friend of a friend and came highly recommended. He ran a weekly running group at a track in East London on Tuesday nights. I was terrified the first night I went. There were so many elite runners training on the track and I was sure I'd be the slowest and not be able to keep up with the rest of the group. I was pleasantly surprised to learn that the only time or person we needed to beat in this group was ourselves. While we ran as a group and often started at the same time, everyone was working to a different pace and trying to achieve different goals with their running. Our coach created unique programs for each of us based on races we were planning for or distances we wanted to run. There was friendly banter and competition between us, but we were all there with the common goal to improve our running and the support we provided each other was invaluable. I was in the perfect place and my running technique and times improved exponentially. 
Whilst running is an individual sport, the power of training in a group should not be underestimated. Personally, I can't recommend group training highly enough, especially when you're starting out. Running may seem like a natural physical motion, but learning how to run with correct technique prevents injury and helps you run faster for longer. It has been over a decade since my running journey started, and now, at nearly 40 years old, I still adore this sport. There is something liberating and low-maintenance about throwing on a pair of shoes and heading out the door. Running has also taken me to some amazing places, including picturesque paths in the UK, bush trails in Australia, and even to other countries, like the half-marathon I did around the centre of Budapest. Bordeaux's Medoc Marathon is still on my list, not just for the stunning countryside, but for the alleged 20-plus different wines, as well as cheese and other delicacies you can taste around the course. I may or may not finish that race. Like any long-term relationship, running has not been without its challenges, most notably when I was pregnant. I was fortunate to be able to run into the sixth month of my first pregnancy, but my second pregnancy was an entirely different story, and I learned an important lesson by running too much too soon after the birth of my second child. Despite the painful lessons learned from trying to quite literally run before I could walk, running was my sanctuary after I had children. It was the one physical activity I could do with my kids for years, from tiny babies to young children, when I could push them in the pram, which I talk about in more detail in my book, A Year of Love, Finding Peace One Day at a Time. Most recently, during lockdown, I was motivated to use my exercise time as an opportunity to increase the frequency and length of my runs. However, this over-enthusiastic increase resulted in one of my few running injuries, plantar fasciitis, which I would not wish on anyone. As I learned, foot injuries take some time to heal, so I had a two-week break from running, which forced me to partake in alternate low-impact activities. The upside is that I've enjoyed strengthening my core and experimenting with bar, pilates and yoga. I feel the break from running has provided me with the opportunity to focus on otherwise neglected parts of my body when running is in the mix. The key is being gentle with yourself, knowing your body and, most importantly, when to pull back before it's too late. Some of the other important lessons my running journey has taught me are to Number 1. Be patient. Running doesn't come naturally to many of us, and it takes time to develop your style and rhythm. Start small and build up slowly. A coach or running group can also help with technique and encouragement. Number two, rest days are as important as active days. Time off our feet or cross-training other body parts gives our muscles and all the other parts of our incredible bodies the chance to rest and repair. Number three, variety is the spice of life. And this is especially true with exercise. One of the best things about running during and after pregnancy, for example, is that you learn to adapt. If it's not possible to run as long or as far as you used to due to pregnancy, injury or fitness levels, break it down. Start with a minute at a time and gently interval train your way to recovery, one minute at a time. Number four, there will be times when you don't feel like running. When in doubt, put your shoes on and aim for 10 minutes. If you're still not feeling it after 10 minutes, take a guilt-free rest day, knowing that you tried. On most occasions, you'll probably manage at least 20 minutes, if not more. Running is a fantastic way to get fresh air, connect with nature, and explore some awesome parts of our world. 
we can all benefit from physical activity, but what this looks like for each of us varies greatly. Here are some things you can try to add more physical activity to your life. Number one, identify the physical activities you enjoy doing. Running, dancing, team sport, an exercise class, either at the gym or online. The best type of exercise is the type that doesn't feel like exercise. There's a physical activity to suit any personality, lifestyle and ability. You just need to invest the time finding the one that works for you. Two, don't label yourself. For most of my childhood and teenage years, I branded myself as not sporty, which was extremely unhelpful and hampered my confidence when it came to trying new sports or physical activities. Number three, include others. Even if you don't want to play a team sport, including others in your physical activity can help motivate you on the difficult days when you don't feel like doing anything. This could be as simple as a walk with a friend or your partner, walking your dog, group training, doing an online exercise class in your living room with your kids, or just running around with them in the backyard. Working out with others doesn't feel like working out, especially if you haven't caught up in a while. You'll talk your way through your workout without realising it. It sets a positive example for those around you, your partner, your kids, your friends. Often by seeing you exercise regularly, this will also motivate them to get more active. It's contagious. Four, pair exercise. One of my most consistent exercise habits is cycling for half an hour every day. Why? Because I pair this activity with reading a book, which I love. If reading isn't your thing, your pairing activity could be watching your favourite TV program, or listening to an audiobook or podcast. For me, this cycling session isn't an intense one, but it is an enjoyable way of incorporating gentle movement and reading into my morning routine. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and that I've motivated you to get active in whatever way you can this week. I've recently created a free course called Magical Mornings, The Secret to a Productive Morning Routine. If the content you've heard in this podcast resonates with you, you're going to love this course. Magical Mornings is a subject that is very close to my heart and I'm excited to share my learnings and experiences in a course format. The Magical Mornings course will introduce you to a new routine that will have you jumping out of bed with newfound energy and a zest for life every day. The content in this course has been created from over 15 years of tried, tested and proven learnings and techniques that has been my magic bullet for juggling family, work, exercise, personal development, and everything in between. By using this routine, I have created four different businesses, written a book, completed courses and excelled my learning by consuming hundreds of online tutorials and videos, practiced piano, established a regular meditation practice, exercised and run hundreds of kilometers, and more. Magical Mornings will teach you how to Create a magical morning routine that resonates with your life right now. Define what is important in your life and how you can use your magical morning to achieve this. Implement powerful self-care rituals to promote physical activity, personal development and learning, spirituality, connection with others and organisation for the day ahead. Set yourself up for the day with intention, clarity and focus so you can tackle whatever comes your way with calm confidence all before 7am. Best of all, it's completely free. I'd love for you to check it out at pinkplatform.thinkific.com. That's pinkplatform, one word, thinkific, 
T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com. The link can also be found in the show notes. I'd love for you to share this episode with a friend you think would benefit from listening too. Simply take a screenshot and send them a message with a link to this episode or share on your socials. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and leave a rating and review. I read all ratings and reviews and they make all the difference in helping other people find this podcast. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join me next time. I'll leave you with today's mantra. My body is a masterpiece made for movement and I find fun ways to get physical every day.